This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. All right, next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? Hi, this is Jennifer Mabus, and I am from Seattle, Washington. Right on. Well, hey, uh, it's so crazy because I, I know that I reached out to you when you had, I don't know if you had just started the Whimsical Woman. I think you were, uh, you know, a few blogs in and it was really cool to chat to you, you know, with you back then. And then almost like right away, um, you decided to go hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And so I got the chance to talk to you right before that. And uh, man, I, I want to say we chatted within days of you leaving. Um, and that was pretty cool. So, I mean, I, I guess the, the questions then are all moving forward from there. So, uh you know, I guess the first question, did you, did you complete the trail? Yes, I did. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) I was really nervous about, um, getting hurt, you know, like a foot injury of some sort and not being able to finish, but I somehow made it to Canada. (laughs) Ah, congratulations. That's so awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm sure that, uh, some of the listeners and, um, I know I was following you. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I don't, however, uh, do a lot of YouTube videos, and I know that that's really big for you. What is your YouTube channel? It's The Whimsical Woman. Okay, so pretty easy to find for people. Uh, so go check yeah. that out for sure, because you, you really did a good documentation on there, right? Yeah, I, I try to do um, a daily vlog, and I try to keep it as real as possible. So there is a whole lot of emotion and action in my videos. <laughs> uh, that's good, though. That's that's real yeah. real life, right? Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun uh, documenting it that way. Right on. Well, t- talk a little bit about getting started. I know in our our last conversation, um, right before you were getting going, that your dad was going to hike some of the trail with you, and he started out with you, right? Yes, he did. So how was that? Uh, <laughs> getting into it, I guess it was kind of kind of cool having somebody there that was uh, you know a little father figure, a real father figure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun, but it didn't turn out the way that we both thought. Um, it's, it's something my dad and I laugh about now, (laughs) (laughs) but my dad's like a former green beret and, you know, has lived in the wild on his own before. So his idea of what we were doing was way more tactical than it was. So he had his machetes and his knives and he was just ready you know, like he was going out on a mission or something, but (laughs) he was carrying so much gear and weight that was unnecessary that it was so much harder for him than he was expecting because right out of Campo, there is an area called Hauser Creek and it's just notoriously hot with no water. And my dad was really struggling with the heat and the lack of water. And we thought a few times that he was having heat stroke. So it actually got pretty scary. We had to stop a lot. We didn't do many miles each day. And um, yeah, it was much harder on him than we both thought. So 
he wound up getting off at uh, Lake Marina, which is 20 miles in. So it took us like two and a half days to get there. And we had to call his friend and his friend came and picked him up. And then they went golfing the next day. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it, it was just, it turned into like, my dad wound up having so much more respect for through hiking after that because he thought it was just going to be like walking on a little path and, you know, enjoying the views and everything. And it was much more difficult than he expected. So it's funny now, but at the time, not so funny. I'm sure. Yeah. I can only imagine. (laughs) I was just going to say my first three videos have my dad in there and you can kind of see the struggle going on. (laughs) So you know, if you go check those out, you'll see what I was talking about. <laughs> right on. Well, I, I know uh, Doug Cozens uh, was on my uh, Cascade Hiker podcast group on Facebook, and, and he was kind of really curious about that. And I, I would assume he must have watched the videos because uh, he, he was asking a lot about your dad. And he's a dad, and he wouldn't mind joining his son and daughter sometime on, on a journey like this. Uh, do you have any kind of suggestions then, uh, looking back on that? Yeah. From my dad, actually, he said next time he will actually listen to me and not bring as much gear. <laughs> so his, he was like, all right, my daughter was right. I shouldn't have got, you know, a lot of the things that he had that he thought was necessary from his like Green Beret training. So, you know, lightening your pack as much as possible and as much as you're comfortable with makes hiking so much easier. You know, and so my dad was, his pack, we weighed at like 53 pounds. Wow. That's, that's too heavy for, for doing bigger miles each day. Yeah. So that, that's the one, that was the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, looking back, you know, without trying to, uh, you know, throw your dad under the bus. So, I mean, how many times did he use his machete? Oh gosh, never. <laughs> he kept saying he wanted to leave it on the trail. I was like, dad, you can't leave things behind. But he was so like, someone will use it. I said, dad, no, no one's going to use a machete. No one needs a machete. <laughs> so, so now we laugh about it. Um, but yeah, it was, I think that was just the main thing was not a lot of water and too heavy of a pack. So, <laughs> yeah. Sixmoondesigns.com. They've got uh, a lot of backpacks to choose from. Some fanny packs and stuff, uh, even some some harness vests. Uh, go over and check those out. Also, um, I'm excited about the tents, the shelters, uh, the tents and the tarps, and uh, there's just there's a lot to choose from. Uh, one of the ones uh, they've got some good videos on there, and I was I was actually just I bought the uh, Lunar Solo, and I was checking out the Lunar Duo, and man, this this looks like a cool tent as well. It does take two trekking poles rather than the one trekking pole for the other. Um, but anyway, yeah, just go check out their tents, surf around the website. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was a seam ceiling. Yeah, they do take that. Let me tell you, you got to set this tent up anyway in your yard or, or, you know, right when you get it to kind of check it out. So why not seam seal it while you're sitting there and you can play around with it while it's drying and it actually dries real quick. And anyway, seam ceiling is not a big deal. So go over to sixmoondesigns.com and follow them on Instagram too. Tell them the Cascade Hiker Podcast sent you. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, in post, uh, the fact that it, it, I know looking into it, you were really excited to be with your dad and to to start such a big journey um, with somebody that I assume you look up to. And um, and and in all reality, 
even though it was such a short-lived, uh, you know, a session with him, um, I would assume that he gave you some confidence because basically, um, you know, you were able to tell that you were okay going forward, right? Exactly. And I think that was the biggest thing for my dad for joining me. It was mainly for him and my mom, you know, for him to see me in that environment and then be able to leave me and know like, okay, my daughter's going to be okay. And so he told me the day that he left that he was fully confident that I was going to make it. And he said like before starting, it wasn't that he wasn't confident that I was going to make it, but he's just never seen me backpack before. He's never seen me in that environment. So he wasn't sure how I was going to handle it. But our three days together, you know, he left feeling very confident that I love this. I'm passionate about it. I'm good at it. And that I was going to make it. So he was able to go home and report to my mom, like, (laughs) he's going to be okay. She's, she, this is where she belongs right now. So that that was really cool to hear from my dad. That's great. Well, uh, you know, Lisa Holmes on that same uh, on on my group there. She asked. Uh, she was talking about your back surgery, and I know we talked about that in 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 our first podcast uh, right before the trail. Uh, did that have any kind of impact in um, you know on your trip, or did you have to make any adjustments to your routines? Well, I actually did better than I thought I was going to do with my back surgery. Uh, There were some days, though, that I could feel that the other side of my back where I didn't have surgery was overcompensating. And I was in so much pain some days that I just had to keep taking my pack off. Even if my pack wasn't that heavy, I just couldn't do it. But that happened a lot in the beginning. And I think, you know, just carrying 30 pounds on your back every day, it really strengthened my back muscles. And I actually seemed to be getting stronger, you know, the more I went on. So in the very beginning, when I was having all that trouble, I was worried that this was going to be a problem and it was just going to get worse and worse. But the opposite actually happened. And I think my back got really strong and um, I was doing pretty good um, the last about three months of my hike. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. Cause that was, that, that was a big deal. I mean, you know, not too many people start out just, you know, weeks before leaving on a big trip like this with such a big surgery. And I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I was really worried about it, but thankfully also my pack, you know, I have a Waymark gear pack. It sits, it sits on me a little bit higher. Like the hip belt is higher than I see other packs sit. And for me, that was so much more comfortable for myself in general. And I think that really helped my back because I didn't feel like there was a lot of weight on my back. And, um, yeah, I can't imagine like using a different pack where the hip belt sat lower because I felt like all the weight would have just been sitting right there on my back where my surgery was. So I think that that combination of choosing the right back, uh, choosing the right pack for your back is really important. And that really helped me. That's good. Well, um, I was going to ask that question too. So we might as well ask it now. Um, how did your pack hold up? I mean, you know, I've seen some packs after the trail and some of them hold up and some of them don't. Yeah. Uh, mine's still in great condition. Uh, it's really dirty and it doesn't smell very good. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to be u- using that very soon. Um, but yeah, it's, 
completely good to keep using, which really shocked me. You know, there's some superficial holes in it that I accidentally ripped, you know, like in the netting on the front of the pack. But the whole thing overall did really well. Nice. That's good to hear. My pack, I wasn't very friendly to my pack sometimes. <laughs> I would just like take a break and get tired and throw my pack off and then it would tumble down a hill. And I would just watch it tumble down and be so worried that something was going to break. But every time the pack was still intact and ready to roll. So I'm really happy with my pack and the fact that it made it all this way through and that I can still continue to use it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, let's talk a little yeah. bit about, um, you know, Josh Minnick on my Facebook group had a great question. He was asking um, if there was any stretches of the trail that you dreaded going in. And if so, uh, did it turn out to be all that you imagined or was it better? <laughs> well, I think the only stretch that I wasn't very excited about was parts of Northern California and Southern Oregon. And the reason is because there's a lot of green tunnel in that section. And you, I just heard from a lot of hikers who were ahead of me that that was the most boring part so far. And when you're still in Northern California after like two and a half months and you still haven't crossed the state line, you're so ready to hit, you know, the, the border of Oregon. But so you, so everyone kind of gets these blues and they call it the NorCal blues because mm -hmm. you're just so ready to get out of California. But when I was in Cal uh, Northern California, and you're in that green tunnel, I was just so bored and dreading it. Like I did not want to do it. And I even had thoughts of skipping up to Ashland, Oregon, because I just heard that trail was just so boring. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't skip it, but I wound up going through it and it wasn't the best time of my life on the trail. <laughs> um, but the, I think there were some beautiful, you know, scenery that I could have possibly seen but it was during the fire season and everything was so smoky. I couldn't see anything. So that was my only experience of dreading parts of the trail and having it actually be not that fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It, you know, it's kind of funny cause he also asked a question that might coincide with that answer. I, I think he was digging, I, I think he was following you on YouTube and, um, or maybe on one of your social medias that linked to YouTube and he would go and watch the videos, but either way, um, he was asking about the 40 mile day video, um, and he wanted to know, is that a typical of mental struggles? You know, is that a typical video showing mental struggles or was it an exceptional example of goal mindset proving grounds? Oh yeah, that is a good question. Yeah. I think the day that I did the, the 40 mile day was, I think that was a very good, like example of, um, what your mind can go through every day. Because when I started the 40 mile day, I woke up early and I was just immediately caught in a storm. And so I was immediately set back. And, um, and I, I think what he's mainly referring to was I crossed some trail magic that morning and I was soaking wet from the rain. And it was just an easy way for me to make an excuse to, okay, I should, I should try my 40 mile day tomorrow, right? Mm. Because I'm cold, I'm wet, there's trail magic. And 
I kind of talked about that mental struggle of, you know, when you're setting a goal, when it's, when it's important to stick to that goal or when it's important to know you're pushing yourself too hard and to try another time. So I decided to actually skip trail magic for the first time ever on trail. And I continued and I actually got to my 40 mile goal, 40 mile day, which was my goal. So, um, on trail in general, you, you do feel that battle a lot of like wanting to give up or making excuses, just like anything in life. But the thing about through hiking is you have to keep going if you want to make it. You know, you can't keep making all these excuses because then they'll just continue to add up and then you won't get there. You know, because you, you, you have a time limit of making it to Canada before the weather gets awful. So, you know, it, um, I think that's what he's referring to. But yeah, that's pretty much a normal way of just constantly fighting that voice in your head to want to give up or stop or, you know, whatever else it may be. Yeah, that's interesting because, uh, you know, you, when you think about that uh, 40 mile day and you think, man, uh, the, that trail magic's awesome and stuff, but you don't know, like you say, if you put it off the next day, there's going to be trail magic that day too, right? Or or whatever. You, the, today is the day, right? Exactly. And I had already gotten up way earlier than normal, you know, to try to make up some miles in the morning and I already beat out the storm. And so I was like thinking that I already did the hard part which is getting up early and just making a decision to get this done. And so, it, yeah, it was a lot of willpower to keep going because I was completely soaked. And you could see my hair is completely wet. You know, there was cover from the rain, hmm. hot coffee, hot food, and it was just the, e- the easiest decision. But I really wanted to stick to my goal. So, yeah, it was a, it was a hard one. But at the end of the day, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I'm really glad that I stuck to that. That's awesome. So many, uh, so many first times in, in, on this stretch of trail, I can imagine. Um, what, uh, what about your food? Uh, Rick Peterson, he, he wanted to ask that because, uh, I know in like a four or five or six month journey, uh, you know, certain things can get old or certain things maybe you couldn't live without. And, um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the changes you made throughout the, the trail? Yeah, of course. So I actually didn't have a stove the entire time. So I either cold soaked all my food or I didn't even cold soak at all. I just ate, you know, a lot of bars and cheese and avocado. <laughs> um, so I think I ate pretty much the same thing the whole trail, which was, Normally, I'd bring like some cheese, some avocados, some kind of meat like tuna or salami and tortillas. And I just make wraps. And then I would eat a lot of like Cliff Bars or Pro Bars and candy and Snickers. That was pretty much <laughs> my food. Um, and then I would try to switch it up because you, you, I did start getting sick of tortillas. So then I tried to go to bagels. And then I got sick of tuna. So you try to find different kinds of meat. And, you know, you, I would keep trying to swap before I got entirely sick of something. Um, but then, you know, I, I switched to couscous and I soaked that, which is really good. But then what happens is just one day you're eating lunch and you're eating your couscous like normal. And then you literally can't take another bite or you're going to vomit it up. So, it, um, 
that happens a lot. I ate a lot of cold mashed potatoes. I couldn't, I can't do that anymore. That's done with. But for the <laughs> most part, I actually, I, I ate a lot of the same things, which is really surprising because a lot of people had to constantly keep switching. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't change my, because I, I ate a lot of foods that I really enjoyed, like cheese and avocado. And I try to pack out as much fresh fruit and vegetables as possible in the beginning of leaving town. And I think that was key for me. Like I would bring bell peppers and apples and oranges, and I would try to eat that sort of thing because my body wants that. And I, I wasn't really going to get sick of that. So I think, I think I did a pretty good job with food, especially since I didn't have a stove. Yeah. Well, um, and then, and then with Rick Peterson's other part of that question, um, is there anything you'd change in the future? Let's say you're going to go on a backpacking trip right now. Um, you know, what would you bring for dinner? So people have asked me this question <laughs> and I think I'm just so used to not having a stove now that, um, I could still just see myself bringing exactly the same thing. Like, cheese, avocado, tuna, and tortillas. I, to me, that was the perfect trail food. I felt like I was getting, you know, fats, carbs, protein, um, in my body. It felt really good. But, um, I think if I was going on like a weekend backpacking trip, I might bring my jet boil or something, you know, and maybe some mac and cheese, which is like my favorite, but yeah, we'll see. I think, I think me through hiking has changed my mentality a lot. You know, I've gotten rid of a lot of gear. I think I have it pretty nailed down for what's comfortable for me backpacking, and I really enjoy it. So, yeah, I think I think I might be a stoveless backpacker now, like an official one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You, you went quite a ways with that one, so that's uh, that's definitely why why not, right? Yeah, and you know, it wasn't like I was miserable. I mean, I actually really enjoyed it. I, I never once sat there. While I was with other hikers and when we were eating dinner, I never once saw them with their, their stoves and wished I had mine. I never did. I was very content with what I was eating. And I think it was more for me to realize I was just trying to feed my body. You know, this wasn't about necessarily like having the finest dining experience, but I ate foods that I liked and that I knew my body liked. And I think that was what was important for me. Yeah, I like that answer. It's good. Um, how about uh, Vicky Wallace? Um, she she was also asking, do do you feel uh, people question your ability to do this through hike because of your gender? I think that's an interesting question. You know, um, so on my YouTube videos, <laughs> um, I people commented often how they saw like a change in maybe not my personality, but they just saw a change in me as I progressed. And a lot of people admitted that they didn't think I was going to make it from the beginning. And then, you know, halfway through, they commented and said, actually, I'm very confident now that you're going to make it. I don't think that was because of my gender. I think it was more of like my personality, like me just being bubbly and people not thinking I was going to be tough enough to finish it. But I honestly never felt like people thought I couldn't do it just because I'm a female. And I think that has a lot to do with there's actually more females on trail than I think a lot of people realize. And seeing like a solo woman through hiking is actually not 
that rare, like maybe it used to be. And um, I actually had a lot of male hikers comment on how they think female through hikers are more impressive. Um, which I mean, it's it's not like a comparison, but it's the idea that usually we're smaller, but we're carrying the same amount of weight as the male through hikers. And so actually, I think there's a lot of respect for female hikers out there. Um, yeah, so I, I never felt like someone was like judging me just because of my gender. Well, that's good. I like that. Um, what yeah, about, I mean, yeah. I was great. <laughs> what about your own, uh, fears and your own, you know, self-talk? You know, you talked about a little bit about that with your, um, you know, mental struggles from time to time, but what about going into this? I mean, you seem pretty confident when we talked, uh, right before you started, uh, did you have any time where you weren't, you know, positive? Oh, of course. Um, so I actually, you know, camped alone, um, maybe let's say about like 30 or 40% of the time. And a lot of, especially women will ask me like, Hey, how did you get to the point where you weren't scared to camp alone? And most of the time I was still scared. And I think like, that's what I try to share with other people is that I did have uh, a lot of fears and, you know, negative thoughts, but it didn't stop me from continuing to do it. And I think that's what is important. Um, yeah, there were some nights when I was completely alone and I was really scared. And I'm just thinking about like strangers in the woods or animals or, you know, things, things like that, because I was alone. Um, so I, I tried my best to really have like intentional thoughts, you know, to have rational thoughts and to just try to like quiet my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was scared actually a lot of the trail <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and, um, and then other parts, I just didn't want to be there anymore. So those kinds of negative thoughts of like wanting to just quit and then use the remainder of my time and my money to go like travel the world. But, um, so I think I think all hikers actually feel some sort of those emotions, but it's just remembering the end goal, you know, just constantly reminding yourself of what it would feel like to be standing at the northern terminus. And that in itself would would help me not quit, would help me try to overcome my fear and like keep pushing. I'm excited about waymarkgearco.com. Go over there, check out the packs. Um, you know, seriously, you can customize any pack you want. You can also choose from a lot of packs that he already has made. There's fanny packs uh, coming in the future if they're not out there right now. There's lots of accessories you can add to these packs. My kids like the mesh water bottle packs uh, like for that go right on your shoulder strap there. Um, there's, I don't know, these things are, are basically waterproof. Um, you know, we went out on the Olympics and used our uh, one of our backpacks out there, actually two of them. And the everything in there, it, it was pouring down rain, like absolutely pouring down rain. Everything was dry in there. And I was glad, too, because I wasn't prepared. I didn't have any kind of a liner or anything to help that out. And these things, uh, Waymark Gear Company packs, they, uh, well, they, they held up to the test, even though <laughs> it wasn't a real test. Anyway, go over to waymarkgearco.com, check it out, follow on Instagram. Thanks a lot. Now back to the show. Uh, what about um, high points of the trail? Um, 
you know, not necessarily like in elevation, but maybe in elevation. What were what were you know a couple of your your favorite parts, or or maybe you were in in the in a better moods, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, there's like several different moments that stick out in my mind. Um, one of them, talking about high points, was summiting Mount Whitney. Uh, that was incredible. That was probably one of the best days on trail for me because the weather was perfect. And when I got to the top of Mount Whitney, um, there was two people up there and they took my picture and I took theirs. Then they left. And then I had the summit of Mount Whitney to myself for, I was up there for over an hour all by myself. And it happened to be father's day. So I got to FaceTime my dad on top of Mount Whitney. And that was, that, that moment was just incredible. And then there is all these little moments of, I cowboy camped a lot. So like in the desert, you know, you're just sleeping on the dirt and then you wake up to the most beautiful sunrise. And it's just those little moments that I have ingrained in my mind. And, um, pretty much the whole Sierra Nevada was just so beautiful and it's just one of those kinds of things that you can't really explain it until you're there and you see it in person. And, um, yeah. And that also goes for Washington, you know, like the goat rock wilderness and, um, just the Northern Cascades. There's just this beauty out there that you can't really explain. You just have to be there yourself. And so all of these little days just really stick out in my mind, but, um, they're just they're just the little things the the beauty of the nat- of nature basically that's great okay, uh, what about when you actually crossed into Washington I know you talked a little bit about that Northern California yeah. really wanting to get to Oregon um, but you're from or you, well, you live in Washington I should say and um, you know what about crossing in was that a big deal yes it was it was really surreal because you know, Going from Oregon to Washington, you walk across the Bridge of the Gods. And for me, that was strange because, you know, I've driven across that bridge. I've hiked all like around the gorge right there. And so it was felt like I was back in my stomping grounds. And, yeah, just knowing that this was the last state and that I was going to be walking through a lot of parts that I've already hiked or, you know, in the areas that I've hiked before was was weird but I was really motivated. I knew that it was crunch time. I actually did Washington pretty quickly compared to like California because I was running out of time. And so I was actually, it was that bittersweet feeling of so excited to tackle this last state, but I was, I was ready. I was ready to make it to Canada. That's cool. Now I know um, something when I was down at PCT days, um, the town of Cascade Locks, had uh, just put up a, a new uh, kind of terminus in town there. Did you have a chance to see that? And how did you feel about that? Well, uh, when I made it there, I don't think that, I think they were doing a ceremony for it like four days after I was leaving. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have any feelings towards it. I didn't get to see it, like I said. But um, the the town of Cascade Locks was really hiker-friendly. And so... Um, I think that just adds into it that it's just one of those iconic towns that a lot of hikers get excited about to reach because they're very welcoming to hikers. And then it's, you know, if you're going northbound, it's, you know, you're about to cross over into your last state. So 
um, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and check it out, though. And I do plan on being at PCT Days next year. So I'll see you then. <laughs> oh, right on. That's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. a fun fun event, especially for hikers. Um, what? Uh, so talk a little bit about the northern terminus then. So when you got to the, the you know, the, the Canadian border, um, there was a brand new terminus put in. And uh, and how did you feel about that? And, and kind of talk about getting to the end. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, there was a new terminus and um, it was beautiful. And I know that you were a part of making that happen. So thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was crazy, you know, seeing that in person. You see it, you know, so many times in pictures and with other hikers there. But it's always different once you see it. Um, my last mile was very emotional. And I pulled away from the group I was with because I wanted to walk the last mile by myself. And, you know, it got a little emotional. But but actually, when I got to the terminus, I was just happy. I didn't really cry. I wasn't sad. It, it wasn't a lot of emotion. It was just like, wow, I did it. And, um, yeah, it was just a lot of happiness and cheering from all of us hikers. And um, I thought I was going to be sobbing and crying and, you know, having this whole emo emotional ordeal. But really, it was just almost like relief and happiness. And um, and I think the fact that you have to hike about nine miles to Manning Park, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't let you actually be like, yay, I'm done. You know, <laughs> I have to keep hiking. But, um, yeah, it was just so cool to see it in person. And um, I still can't believe that I did it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, that hike out too, you know, you think about it like, Oh, I just, just got to go to Manning park, but you know, there's a little bit up there and stuff. It's not, you know, it's not, not just a walk in the park. So, um, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not difficult by any means, but it's just kind of like, Oh man, I thought we were done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause once you leave the Northern terminus, you know, to go to Manning park, it's an uphill climb and you're like, Oh man, like I just walked from Mexico. This <laughs> <laughs> this is never ending, but yeah, it was, it was all wonderful. Yeah. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about uh mile, you know, 2650, you know, as you think about how long the trail is, um, man, it must've been really weird. Uh, you know, we could talk a little bit about that real quick too, on what kind of, uh, technology you used and what, what, what technology maybe you didn't use, but, um, it must've been really weird seeing those numbers, you know, when you were at mile zero and then, you know, as they climbed and it was all, almost be kind of hard when I hiked the PCT in Washington, I'm looking at the numbers and just kind of like, Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's in the two thousands all the time, you know? So it, there's no, yeah. uh, you know, shocking. Wow. I've done all this, you know, like you've done. Right. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I, I think for me, it made it strange because, when I was making my videos, I put the mileage of each day. And when I started, it was mile 0, 0.0, you know? And I think my dad and I did like single digits the first day. I don't remember exactly, but let's say like eight miles or something, you know? So I would put the mileage range on every day. So as that started to increase, I was like, what is it going to feel like when I get to like the triple digits, like mile 100? You know, I was so excited to write that in my videos. And then, huh. yeah, and then I hit the mile 1,000 and then I hit 2,000. And it, that for me was just crazy. Like, man, I've been hiking for thousands of miles. Yeah, and it, it just never got 
it, it just always surprised me. It was never like, oh, this is normal life. I was just always, I think, proud of myself and, and the people around me that like, dang, we've, we've come a long way. Because I think it's easy to just be like, oh, this is, this is normal. You know, you just get used to it. But I think for a lot of us, we were like, wow, this is still really cool. Every day we wake up, this is still really cool. <laughs> That's cool. So what, uh, what type of, um, you know, technology were you using on the trail? Yeah. So, uh, for my GPS and all my pictures and videos, I was just using my iPhone 10 and, um, the, the app that most hikers use, it's called gut hook and, um, it's not very expensive, but you do have to pay to use the trails on there, but it has all of the, uh, most of the camping, the water sources, the towns, like resupply locations. It's very easy to use. And then hikers can leave comments, um, which is very helpful, like on water sources, especially in the desert. If you come across a water source and you see that it's not maybe as it's not flowing like it was two weeks before, you can comment that. So other hikers know maybe not to rely on that water source. So the gut hook app is very useful. I know a lot of people use, um, I think half mile, there's some other ones out there, but, um, that was my primary source of GPS and, and video taking and editing. And then I also had a Garmin in reach, which I wore like on my shoulder. Um, and that was for emergencies. Thankfully I didn't have to use it to, you know, call like, rescue or anything but um that was my secondary gps and emergency um technology gadget that's great i'm glad you didn't have to use it for yourself or for anybody else you know that um yeah that's something a lot of times people don't think about that you know i mean that could be used to, to help somebody else as well yeah and um there is one for my dad we almost thought we had to use it thankfully oh, we no. didn't I know, but there were actually some other, you know, especially in the desert, I was, I'd be hiking and there would be rescue helicopters flying above me because somebody got hurt. So it does happen, you know, and that's, so I, I think that's one of my most important pieces of gear, hands down. I, I don't even think I'll feel comfortable going on just a regular day hike without something like that anymore. I just was, I felt so much security from having it. And also you know, I didn't have service a lot of the times and especially in the Sierra Nevada areas where you may not have any service for like eight days. I was able to text message my family and just, you know, check in, let them know I was doing okay. And, you know, I, I was tracking my whole progress. So I shared that with close family and friends and they, they got to feel like they were a part of my journey because they could see me moving and everything. So that, that was by far, I think, a really valuable um, piece of technology for sure. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, what about uh, what about the future? Um, you know, are you uh, was this a a one time thing for you, or do you have aspirations to do anything beyond this? Oh, this was definitely not a one time thing. <laughs> um, I I wish I could jump on the Appalachian Trail in the spring, but just financially and with work, I can't do that. So my plan for next year is I have some smaller trails that I want to do and I will be posting that on like uh, my blog and my YouTube channel once I, you know, get dates and everything like that. 
but I am hoping that the following year that I can do a longer trail like the Continental Divide or the Appalachian Trail. Right so on. that that is my current yeah that's my current hopes but yeah just have to make it happen you know um, save up money you know and just get all of my life affairs in order. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting that you're um, looking in the future at a possible another hike, and you seem very very positive um, about that, and uh, like your attitude is, is positivity. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, post-trail depression. Um, I wonder, you know, are you experiencing like that? And if not, I wonder if it's because you have your eyes on something else. Well, um, yeah, I, I actually had a hard time readjusting. Um, and for me, I wouldn't call it depression, but I was just calling it like post-trail blues. Um, I finished my through hike on October 3rd. And then I flew back to, to Reno, Nevada, where my parents are, on October 4th. And then I had to start work in Seattle on October 9th. Oh. So my, turn, my turnaround time was pretty quick. And I think why it was really hard for me is because I just spent this whole time, basically six months, and it was, it was pretty selfish. You know, that doesn't mean it was a bad thing, but it was just me. And it was just me making decisions for myself, making sure I was surviving and doing my own thing. And then I immediately came back and now I'm at work and people are expecting things from me. Friends are expecting things from me, which isn't bad, but it just came, it just, you know, my whole life just pretty much turned from me doing whatever I wanted to now people wanting a lot from me. And that, I think for anybody who is going to do a future through hike, that would be the one thing that I would stress is to just let some people know that it's that you may need time to kind of, you know, ease back into what quote unquote normal society is because it got really overwhelming for me. Like I, I was getting anxiety and feeling like I wasn't living up to all these people's standards just because I, I was having to make time for things that I haven't made time for in like six months. But thankfully, a lot of my family and friends have been really understanding and really helpful, and um, I feel much better now. And um, yeah, I think having plans to hike and just to keep doing the things that I love is important as well. It gives me something to look forward to. Oh, good. Well, you know that you've you've probably heard of the Dunbar number before. I don't. I don't think so. Um, that's the, that's the number of people that we're supposed to interact with, uh, like from. You know, we think about back when, when we were in smaller societies and things like that. And, uh, um, yeah, that can, that can play a, a big role because, uh, you know, I think the Dunbar number is supposed to be like a hundred people or something like that. Like you're only supposed to know and, and have contact with a hundred people and anybody beyond that, um, it can, it can be overwhelming and, um, somebody that's very interactive on social media and YouTube and that kind of thing, boy, that number just starts really growing and, um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, we can usually handle that, but man, coming off a trail where you, like you say, you were, you were living your life to your standard, you know, you got to choose what you wanted to do. And, uh, all of a sudden when, when the more than, more than what you normally could handle starts crashing down on you, that could probably be pretty overwhelming. Yeah, I completely agree. And if anybody's listening and they wrote me a message on Instagram <laughs> or email and I haven't responded, I'm sorry. 
but it, that's exactly it. Like I actually have taken a lot of breaks from social media and people have sent me messages that I haven't even read yet because I'm, it, I'm not in the right mental state to go through all those messages yet. You know, I try to do a little bit a day, but I, I've been cutting myself off and, and putting my phone away and just enjoying the present. So I think that's also really important, you know, because I can't, yeah, it's, it's not normal for, to interact with, you know, a hundred people a day, you know? So, um, I've been trying to be patient with myself and hopefully people can be patient with me. <laughs> well, Jennifer, I appreciate you picking up the phone today and talking to me. Um, would you please, uh, tell people again where they can find you? And I'm sure that people are going to want to check out some of your videos. Yeah, of course. So my, you know, blog name is the whimsical woman and that's pretty much across the board on, uh, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. So, um, yeah, I'd love for people to, you know, come watch some videos and hopefully it might help other people, um, in their future journeys or for them to get out, get outside. Um, and I'm always here to answer questions. Um, sometimes it may take me a while, but I will get back to you. <laughs> I think you promise. Right on. I like that. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the Cascade Hiker podcast. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. <laughs> All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash Cascade Hiker Podcast. Also, hit me up uh, with an email, rudy at cascadehikerpodcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at in underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine and sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. Could never be wrong. Could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass. Playing mandolin in a white dress So come running when I hear that song